I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. This is She Said, She Said. people hear the term good manners, they think about table etiquette. Well, it includes that, of course. But my guests today will tell us that mastery of good manners is actually a component of your leadership journey. So it's much, much broader than just your table manners. It can not only differentiate you from the competition, but it can make or break your career. We're joined today by mother-daughter duo, Catherine Wallace and Jessica Wallace Marventano to talk about their latest collaboration, a book called The Marvelous Millennials Manual to Modern Manners, Professional Success and Happiness with the Help of Business Etiquette. Ladies, welcome. Thank you for having us here. We're so excited to be here. So thrilled to have you here and so thrilled to talk to you about this book and your collaboration. So let's start with the book. What is the Marvelous Millennials Manual to Modern Manners? It is a mouthful, but but it it was an outgrowth of Catherine's classes at the Capitol Hill Club and around D.C. teaching folks business etiquette and social skills. And you said you were always getting questions from um, entities about their millennials mm-hmm. and um, what they needed to teach them so that they could make their work lives a little bit better and have a better functioning operation. And so from that, we decided to write the book. It was a lot of fun to do, and we think it's going to make everybody's life Professional and personal, much more pleasant yeah. and productive. So, yeah. so, Catherine, millennials get a bad rap. I don't know why. I <laughs> love millennials. I They opened up the world to me. I so appreciate all the millennials that I have personally bumped into have been so helpful. They like to answer questions, and they like to teach. They're very collaborative. They're very collaborative. Yeah. Uh, they have a lot of energies. They have a different outlook, and the more... You listen, the more you learn. But yet they do uh, kind of wobble on their social interaction skills. Mm -hmm. I know that they would much rather text than do a face-to-face. And uh, for some, it seems to be very difficult to have eye contact. And we're hoping that this book will take all their wonderful natural instincts and we want them to just polish up their their step. So when they, they're stepping into the business world and when they're stepping into their own social uh, world as adults, they step through with style and have a lot of graciousness about them. Yeah. Is there really a big difference between the manners of millennials, so to speak, and the manners of the broader population at this point? Yes. Uh, the younger generations, the ones that are coming up after the millennials, we haven't got a handle on yet what they're going to do. And they're so, they just like a quick response. You know, they do their shopping online. They would rather do that than go into a store and deal with a salesperson. And to me, that's the eye contact. You know, they're just different, but every generation has been different. Yeah. 
what's well-mannered for a five-year-old is what's well-mannered for an 85-year-old. So all the content in the book um, applies to everybody. And But what happened is that the millennials just haven't received the formal training in this. So there's a little bit of a skill deficit. So mm-hmm. they didn't cause it, mm-hmm. but if they want to succeed in the business world, they have to help solve their problem. And so that's why we hope that they view this book really as a manual. That's why that's in the title is that it's something that is a great reference guide for them to bring into work and can look it up their question really easily, digest the information, and then execute on it. Mm-hmm. So in a way that helps them do their jobs better. Was a focus on good manners always present in your household? It was. I suspect I know the answer to that. <laughs> it was an undercurrent. How did Jessica grow up? That's the question that I want to, that I'm she asking. She grew up under my mother's influence. My mother was relentless with manners, uh, with, my, with myself and my siblings. I passed that on to my children. And Jessica was very lucky also to have her um, grandmother on her dad's side that it, um, gifted me my first social cyclopedia from 1882. I know I, you would appreciate this, Laura. When we would go visit, I would always beeline to the bookshelf and there was this how to dress like a lady for $25 a year, <laughs> morning <laughs> etiquette, and, all, and how do you, you, your calling card etiquette. I was just fascinated with it and she had it rebound for me and it's in my library today and I love it. So it's always been a little bit of an undercurrent. But it really came to the forefront when I became a mother myself, and I wanted to teach Isabella, who was then five, a little bit about manners in a, in a more formal way, mm-hmm. but have it be fun. And so that's kind of how the game came about. She, um, I was trying to buy her a game for Christmas, but everything looked really academic and um, sterile and not very fun, but more task-oriented. And Isabella was right in the middle of her princess phase, so everything was pink and sparkles and ballerinas and tutus, but nothing out there on the book on the store shelves looked like that. And so over Christmas, literally, my other sister Jennifer, mom and I, started talking about what the ideal game would look like for us. And then soon thereafter, we brought it to life. And Isabella had a lot of input into it as a five-year-old. No kidding. She, oh, yeah, unreal. She would come up with questions and answers, and yeah. uh, it was wonderful. She helped draw the first prototype of the game, which then I had laminated, so we still have that. It's far cry from the nice finished product that where we have a, 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 an official artist working on it. But I know the girls, my two girls and my niece, they are characters in the game, and uh, they helped bring personalities only creative difference was when she did not want any people with bad manners, the bad characters, on the game board. And I had to explain to her, no, they go with the slippery slopes of bad manners, and they they are in life, and so they need to be in the board game. She finally relented. I really had to bring my lobbying skills to bear on yeah. that one. It yeah. was funny. You, you run a government relations, Jessica, mm-hmm. you run a government relations office here in Washington. Mm-hmm. Catherine, you're a teacher. Yeah. So the, the game that you developed, you did this about 10, 11 years ago? About seven years ago. Um, seven years ago. But the game has been, I think it's fair to say, a huge success. Yeah. Yes. You've sold a lot of games. We have. <laughs> and we could always sell more, but we love it. But it's how did you games. get from the point of inception, these laminated characters and something that you make at home, to actually realizing, wow, this is a great idea. We should mass produce this. How did that happen? 
we became obsessed in short answer. <laughs> and so at night, we would uh, start working on the question cards. We use the internet to find an artist. Wendy is in Ohio. We found her. We, we saw her portfolio online. She was really great to work with, and we started passing concepts back and forth. We wanted it to be made in the USA, and so we found a manufacturer in Michigan, and I had a long conversation with Dave. <laughs> Dave's your husband. Yeah. <laughs> About this, and and he was really supportive of it. Actually, he is our CFO of our little our little venture on that so and he was our shipping department for a long time as well <laughs> but this was your side hustle yes right yeah. this was not your full-time gig no you were working at a full-time job and you were both doing the this the uh-huh. development of the game uh in your spare time you were working on the hill still at that yes. time right yeah. she worked in the uh office of uh, art and archives under the clerk under the clerk of the on the house side mm-hmm. so so I know you guys have some formal training in etiquette. Mm-hmm. When did you realize that that was something that you wanted to pursue? Talk a little bit about that. I think it was when we realized that we enjoyed it. And actually, I was getting a lot of questions just when I was working. How should I dress? Do I look okay, Catherine? Uh, I was the elder in the office. It was just like a, a light that went off that people... I'm enjoying this, but I'm not quite sure whether I'm telling them exactly what an expert would be telling them. So going to get certified and studying, I think, was key for me. So where do you go for that? Where did you go to get certified? Oh, uh, the Washington School of Protocol. Pamela Eyring is the head of that. I went on my second maternity leave because it's a week of training. And then after I did that, then... I went. You went, and um, and that really helped us, I think, in terms of giving us the tools, what you should be saying, how you should be saying it, and really, I think, just underscored what we already knew, but yes. gave us a little bit of confidence to say, yes, we actually enjoy this, and we providing good content, and it's relevant, and it's up-to-date, um, and it's applicable to business. So from the point of the class until the writing of the book, did you take the class in order to sort of create the book? Or no. was it more that you were inspired based on, you know, you were learning more about it and sort of thinking more broadly about how did that, how did the book ultimately come about? Uh, we had originally started, we did take uh, children's etiquette classes to, so that uh, we could teach the children. The adult dining eti- etiquette kind of evolved because Good dining etiquette skills, you're presenting to the world how you want to be perceived. The book just kind of evolved. It was very out organic of out of the classes and the uh, questions. A lot of questions. And the classes, let's talk a little bit more about the classes. The, cla- the classes that you teach together, right? You teach these yes. together, mm-hmm. um, largely to interns on Capitol Hill. Interns, uh, businesses, we have been hired for different companies to go down when they're doing a weekend presentations and things like that. My original class started with dining etiquette. It kind of evolved into personal branding and networking. uh, The reception etiquette. Mm -hmm. Because at a reception, the etiquette is different than a dining table. And then it went into business stress. And the branding, it just kind of grew from people's questions Mm -hmm. and then going back myself and Jessica to double check you know what are people saying what is the appropriate thing and how do you evolve because people evolve themselves that's what we do 
and people have to be ready to evolve. But you want to give them the correct answers, and I want the correct answers because I'm still evolving. Mm -hmm. I hope that I learn something new every day. I don't care what it is as long as it's a new piece of information. What do you say to the person? There's a there's you know a lot of it's popular to you just do you. This you've heard this concept of you yeah. you just do you you just be you. And, but when it comes to manners, it really is about the collective and getting along. So how how do you respond to anybody who might right. not be as open to these concepts? What do you say to that? Well, I think that what we say actually in the book when we get asked about this is that when you Letting you be you actually doesn't make you as happy as you think it does. And you need some adult self-restraint so that you are showcasing to the world the best version of yourself so that you're you're proud of yourself. So when you look back at the day, you, you aren't like, well, I really wish I didn't overshare on that or do a meltdown on that because that really isn't you. We like to say that being well-mannered is actually very freeing because you're in control of your brand and what you want to showcase to the world. But it, it does take some discipline to have that adult self-restraint. <laughs> we talk a lot about, uh, on the podcast, we talk about impact and sort of the ways in which people lead. And this is really an interesting testament of leadership. But what about this really resonates with you? Why, why is it your passion? Graciousness. When you own information, when you own the correct information, when you know the rules of the road, you're very confident. When you're confident, you're enjoying yourself. When you're enjoying yourself, you're having fun. When you're having fun, people like to engage with you, and you like to engage with others. It's a win-win situation. And if you step back and understand what manners are, there's only one rule of manners, and that's to treat everybody the way you would like to be treated. And I'm a big believer in karma. And what I put out there, I get back. And I don't want to go to bed at night with a guilty conscience because it's unrelenting. It beats you up. You're not going to sleep. But if you've been kind and generous all day, and that does not mean that you're a wimp. That means you stand up for yourself in a very positive way. If I help someone to achieve their goal by listening to them, by hearing what they're saying, they're giving back to me also. I am learning something new, and I have not given up my graciousness because my graciousness is how I want to be perceived in this world. Mm -hmm. I think we just think that if you focus on manners, you focus on uh, your personal brand in terms of how you want to present yourself to the world, and if you're kind, everything else positive will flow from that, whether it's your personal relationships, your professional relationships, you know, uh, career success. We need other people to succeed. You know, you very rarely does one succeed on their own. It, you, you need your colleagues' support. You need your boss's support. You need your subordinate support. And if you have great working relationships with them and you are respectful to them and you create a positive environment, it will only benefit you. And we just think sometimes people overlook these really basic but important life lessons. Yeah, so that's 85% of your uh, success is tied to your personal behavior, your social behavior, your skills. And that's in the business world. So can you imagine what your personal happiness is on a private level? 
Mm-hmm. It has to be 100% of your skills to deal with people yeah. and enjoy them. Mm-hmm. How do you apply this notion of kindness at a time in which it feels like people are really anything but? I have this, love this quote, and it says to treat everyone with politeness, even those who are rude to you, not because they are nice, but because you are. So you have to decide that you want your personal brand to be one of being well-mannered and kind, being respectful to yourself and to others. And when you do that, that is only, that is when all the difficult conversations can occur. Because if you can't even be polite to people, how are you going to find resolution on, on anything? And we were talking the other day about how some people think manners aren't that important because there's so many bigger issues in the world. Well, none of those bigger issues will be solved if people don't know how to collaborate well together and to respect each other and to listen and to try to find solutions. So we think manners are the foundation by which everything else can come from. Talk about that in the context of social media. Digital technology has brought a lot of positive attributes to the world, you know, connecting people who you might otherwise not be able to stay in touch with, make you feel part of a community. Um, Selling a lot of board games. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it's also can be used for not nice things. I mean, we all have heard about social bullying and as parents and colleagues, we, you worry about that with your children and people seem to forget that the way you act in real life is the way you should be acting online. Your personal brand needs to be consistent across every platform within which you engage with another human being. And the problem is, is that some people, some people are rude and some people are very rude, but you have to have the adult self-restraint not to engage with people like that um, because they want to get you excited and agitated and be response, responding kind. But when you don't want to do that because that's not part of your brand, you don't want to be part of that. Plus, whatever you say online lives forever, regardless of your privacy settings. And I think that's going to be a real challenge for the younger generations when they realize that college applications are going to have a little component of that, their first and second jobs, that their bosses are going to be doing their due diligence as corporations. And once you're hired, even if you're off work hours on your own personal device, talking about things that have absolutely nothing to do with your job, you can still be held accountable because of your corporation's social media policy. It, it is getting really sticky. Let's jump into more of the detail around Mm -hmm. the book. Mm -hmm. You guys cover literally (laughs) soup to nuts and then some, right? (laughs) I really shouldn't say soup to nuts because it's not about, it's not just about table etiquette. Mm -hmm. It's much, much broader in terms of just the way in which you exist and live in the world. If you had to pick one particular chapter that you think is the most needed, I'm going to say from my own personal experiences, it's going to be the dining etiquette. People don't realize that there are more people situations or there are people that are more important than you are at the dining table. And you go, oh my, how can someone be more important than me at the dining table? Because you're having everyone viewing how you 
eat, how you consume your food. Dining is supposed to be enjoyable. It is not enjoyable sitting across the table watching someone chew with their mouth open. It is not enjoyable looking, uh, listening to slurps. And when you're dining alone, you're so unaware of these things. And that's why the other diners are more important than you. But do you know that you are more important than the other diners when you're watching them? I, it's kind of... Um, People miss the dining, you know, placing of the napkin, how important that is. And in reality, the baby's first napkin is the bib. And we're teaching them already, we want to uh, keep our clothes clean. We don't want it stained. It's just the concept of dining, you know, the rules of the road. Yeah. Why have we gotten so far away from that? Why is Why are these concepts something that... Folks, have, folks are not necessarily raised with anymore. I don't know how many families still sit down together night after night as a family dinner. A lot of families, um, because of the activities of the children, the work schedules that the parents have, you know, you're used to running into the kitchen and goofing down a sandwich or even just a, um, what do you call those drinks, smoothies mm -hmm. in place of a meal. They're not dining. They're eating to feed their body and there's no emotional sustenance being fed. And that's what you get at a dining table. And I assume the whole fast food culture. I, I was just going to say. Expediency and, right. and lack of time. And a lot of, they're saying trends in the restaurant industry are that people are going to more casual dining. And that's fine. Casual dining can be fast, efficient, and Neat. All, the, all that. But whether you're eating a cheeseburger from McDonald's or sitting for a, you know, a seven-course meal somewhere, the same rules of dining etiquette apply. Your napkin still goes on your goes on your lap. You chew with your mouth shut. You wait and try to time how you eat with other people so you aren't left with an empty plate watching somebody else eat. Uh, you pass things to the right. All these things apply, but I think in when people are so rushed, they aren't making time for manners. And but once they do it continuously it will become part of you and then you won't even think about it anymore and that's what what's what we're trying to do is that's every day wake up think about being well-mannered how can you showcase that whether you're at a dining table or sitting across the conference room with a colleague and it becomes ingrained in you mm -hmm. and then that's when you get your confidence and also I think uh, the schools are not teaching any etiquette and children are having 15 minutes or so to Gobble down food. And that's what they're doing, is gobbling their lunch because they're hungry. But there's no, it's not a relaxed eating. Mm -hmm. It's not enjoyable. And then the challenge, of course, comes when maybe you take your first job or maybe you are in a situation where you're in a job interview and you're interviewing over a meal and you're somebody getting ready to launch your career. Mm -hmm. I mean, talk about anxiety-inducing for someone who's never been presented with yes. how do you... Right behave in a nice restaurant. You shouldn't be worried about which fork to use when you're in that situation. You should have that down pat so you can be talking about business issues. You could be explaining yourself socially to them, getting to know them. I used to work at a law firm and we, I was an associate and every summer we had a whole team of summer associates who would come in and they were all fantastic. But the way the firm interviewed them was it was an interview the entire summer and it included you went to a senior partner's house for dinner. 
We went to another senior partner's house for cocktails. We would go out for lunches. And at the lunches, they would have associates of councils, the senior partner, and then the summer associate. And half the time, the summer associate would not even realize that that senior partner was watching to see, did you put, did you pick up the bread from the wrong bread plate? Do you know your bread plate is on your left? And it seems like a small thing, but in the competitive world of, of business, that could be the differentiator between whether you got an offer or somebody else did. Because everybody who's getting those summer associate spots already isn't very smart. I think manners and etiquette are the differentiators between you and other people who are just as smart as you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because this can oftentimes break down along socioeconomic lines to mm-hmm. some to some degree, what advice do you have for corporations, for law firms, for other entities where you're bringing in a crop of young people, you know, potentially every summer you've got interns and then you've got new hires that come in. How do you get in front of that? You send them to classes. One of my nephews, when he went to New York for one of the major banking firms, the first two weeks were sent to classes, dining classes, and he was so happy. He used to say, oh, Auntie Mary, who's my sister, uh, I knew that because of you, because uh, my sister is kind of like I am, <laughs> unrelenting. <laughs> but uh, that's what that... In the nicest way, way possible. Oh, yes. absolutely. Uh, but that's what that bank did. Every new hire, two weeks out, first two weeks, dining etiquette, they explained explicitly how they were to dress. And I would imagine talked about the branding, but... Billy was just so happy. He knew all the dining skills Mm -hmm. because he shined. But you have to be aware. And we always don't know everything since we're talking about dining etiquette. Once you understand the rule, it's easier to bend and break it when necessary. It's just like I before E, except after C. There's always an exception. Always an exception. And the issue is know how to do it graciously. You're breaking the rule, but there's a reason for it. And it's no big deal because you're going to go with the flow. So elaborate on that. I mean, this is sort of in the context of awkward things can happen, happen. in a meal. <laughs> okay. You sneeze and don't have a tissue. Oh. You, I mean, there are lots, lots of things I can think That's of. That's an that. excellent one. <laughs> I'm going to talk about sneezing. You're at a dining table. The napkin never, ever touches the nose. That's the general rule. That is the rule of etiquette. But you're going to sneeze, and you don't have time to get out your handkerchief or your uh, tissue, and you know... It's coming. You can't get up and leave the table because the sneeze is coming. So you have two options. You sneeze and you spread the little germs all over your plate, but you've also contaminated the people on either side of you and probably what's ever in front, salt and pepper shakers, blah, blah, blah. Or you can take that napkin, hold it up, and oh, you're going to sneeze. You sneeze into the napkin. You have saved the dinners, the food, the table. You simply get up, excuse yourself, go to the um, powder room. With the napkin. With the napkin. (laughs) You leave the napkin in the powder room. You wash up. You do whatever you have to do. When you come back, you simply ask for a new napkin. You go with the lesser of the evils. Right. The lesser of the evils is to use the napkin. Even though you weren't supposed to. And you still... <laughs> but that's what I mean when you sure. when you have to just kind of go with whatever is put in front of you. Right. And you're not going to be sitting there, oh, 
oh, I used my napkin wrong. It's no big deal. Let's pivot and talk a bit about cocktail party Mm -hmm. etiquette, uh, which is another big one. And because we are in Washington, there's a lot of opportunities for cocktail parties and a lot of opportunities for cocktail party mistakes. So walk us through what you have in the book as it relates to cocktail parties and some of your best tips. I think the first one is if you say you're going to attend a cocktail party, don't be a no-show. You think that it's going to be a crowded event and they won't miss you, your host will miss you, and then you're going to be branded as unreliable. So it's very very simple, but if you say you're going to show up, show up. Uh, I think one of the best tips that we provide in the book is how to navigate a cocktail party room. It's very daunting to go into a crowded room when you know maybe one or two people or no one at all, and you're supposed to be there for work, and you're supposed to be representing your, yourself and your firm, doing it graciously, And but it can be a little terrifying if you don't know what to do. So we walk through um, how to present yourself so that you look confident and so that you look attractive from an approachability standpoint. So make sure that you stand up straight, that you have a smile on your face, that um, you aren't fidgeting, and don't make a beeline for the food and beverage right away. You just want to stop and assess the room, get your bearings, and figure out who to approach. Our advice on approaching is you have a couple of options. Find somebody who's by themselves who would love to be saved from solitude <laughs> at a crowded room, in a crowded room, or to go up to groups of three or more. Because if you go up to somebody who, people you don't know who are two people engaged in a conversation, you're really going to break their rhythm and their body language is usually telling you, don't interrupt us. We're facing each other, we're mirroring each other, we're having an animated conversation. And to have a stranger break in to to try to um, make an introduction, you're setting yourself up to fail. So try to find warm groups of three and go up and introduce yourself. But you really do have to pump up your confidence to do it. But once you do that, I think it, when you get to know more people, then you'll, you'll feel a little bit better. What about the most graceful way to break away from a conversation when, you know, you recognize that part of going to a cocktail party may be networking and meeting a lot of new people. And if you get stuck with just one, even though it may be a fascinating conversation, how do you graciously pull away and, and work the room? You want I find this really hard, personally, because <laughs> I get I think, very engaged in a conversation, and I find it hard to break away, even if there are lots of people that I want or need to talk to. Mm-hmm. I think it's perfectly fine to say, oh, I so enjoyed this conversation, but I do have to go and see Bill before he makes an exit. But I hope that we can connect at another time. And uh, since I have spoken to this person, and if I've really enjoyed the conversation, I can ask him for his or her for the business card and say, you know, maybe a cup of coffee later on at some time. And you're giving the information. You've enjoyed this person. You would like to reconnect to get to know this person better. And you're doing it in a very friendly, complimentary way. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're talking to a person who you really want to leave. A dud. That's what we call a dud. A dud. (laughs) And you are always in control of your own environment. And that means you are in control of who you're speaking with. If this person is a dud, if he's going off or she's going off in a subject matter you do not want to be part of, you simply smooth, smile and move on. You excuse yourself. (laughs) And if you really don't like this person, 
I want no more contact. You don't have to pretend that you like them. You don't even have to offer a handshake. You just say, oh, excuse me, and you leave. I think in networking situations, cocktail receptions, most people who are there realize that they're trying to do the same thing. So they want to have conversations, but they want to have multiple ones. And small talk is, that's what you're engaging in at these events. And small talk is supposed to be small, short, five to 10 minutes. But if you excuse yourself with a smile and already have your ex, an exit line or two in your head, then they just roll off your tongue and it makes you more confident in in leaving. You aren't abandoning someone. You're still doing your job. You have other things you need to do. It takes practice. You also talk in the book about the importance of preparation before you go to an event, be Mm. it a cocktail party or a dinner party. Talk about what you mean by that and, and what your suggestions are. We view these work events, cocktail parties, but it does apply socially as well as any other meeting that you go to. And hopefully for your meetings, you do some homework and prepare. And so we encourage people to do the same for these events, to figure out who's going to be there, what do you want to accomplish there, who do you want to connect with, and if you are connecting with them, what what do you want to say? Make sure that you read up on industry trades, if it's an industry event or if it's a general hill event, what's going on on the hill that day. So you have something that you can talk about that is non-threatening, not too personal, and not too polarizing. You also want to have other things to talk about as well in terms of, we like to say, go with the flow. Mm -hmm. So you can talk about F stands for family, friends, and FIDO. So okay. if you can talk about things <laughs> like that. Lucy. Yeah. <laughs> How adorable this little animal is when I came in. <laughs> what a you. greeting I got. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Talk about you someone who needs manners. Yeah. <laughs> oh, not when you're that cute. Not when you're that cute. Uh, then the flow would then go to L for leisure. What do people do for hobbies or downtime? O, occupation. In terms of, but not everybody works outside the home. So what occupies your time? So there you can talk about philanthropic efforts that they have or what do they do during the day? W questions we like a lot because they elicit, if done properly, more than a yes or no answer. So they can really start conversation in terms of, oh, why did you come to the event? Or who are you most interested in hearing? Where did you get those earrings? I just love them. Yeah. Yeah, you're always uh, talking about jewelry. Right? I am. I, 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 and, but most women will perk up, at least you get the name of the store or who the designer is. And gentlemen, they're cufflinks. Have you seen some of these cufflinks that these guys wear? They're magnificent. And they beam when they're noticed. Right. Yeah. You know? So let's pivot, since we're talking about uh, accessories, let's pivot and talk about attire mm. because that does tend to be a really tricky subject matter because of the evolution in work attire, mm-hmm. business casual, casual Fridays. Um, it can mean so many different things. So what's your rule of thumb as it relates to appropriate dress? Appropriate's the right word. word. That's, the, that's the key we think for everything in terms of you want to dress appropriately so that your presentation works for you and not against you. For your organization, is it, are you in a creative environment or are you in a more conservative environment? You need to dress appropriately for that if you want to succeed and move up the ranks. If you don't, then that's your choice, but you are making an informed choice. Uh, appropriate for your body type. Money. 
for your wallet, and for your age as well. I love one of the things that you always say, see, never pay to look ugly. So <laughs> she, my <laughs> Catherine's piece of advice is to never go with a fad, even if you love it, but if it looks horrible on you. We've had those conversations as I was growing up. So. <laughs> but she was always right. So you just want to be appropriate because once you dress in a way that you know that it doesn't detract from the substantive skills that you bring to the table, then people are going to be focusing on that. Your wardrobe and your presentation, your whole presentation, is not a hindrance to your career. And that's what we mean by that. And we don't mean dressing sedately or without any personality. You actually should dress with personality, but do it in a way that it works for you, not against you. And I think um, when you're going to social events, receptions, dinners, uh, et cetera, you just have to get on the internet and we can see what everybody was dressed in last year. So you get a heads up. You never want to sh- show up at an event where it's a cocktail and you come in in um, jeans and a cute little top. It's inappropriate, and you will get a lot of attention. People will question your judgment, not only on your work attire, but yeah. then, well, how does that translate to your judgment in general? You know, and the other yeah. uh, thing for young ladies coming in very young is that they're not a Kardashian and they're not a J-Lo. So you don't wear that type of dress to business. You know, there's uh, we do show a little bit of cleavage the more uh, late and elegant the evening is. And that's perfectly fine. We've been do- women have been doing this from the get-go, but there is a limit, and you have to realize what the limit is. Sort of like the sunset and the cleavage sort of work hand. <laughs> yes, <laughs> very well put. I never thought down. of that. Yeah, <laughs> but there is a limit. There's a limit. Yeah. Right. But you know, it's funny. We were talking to some organizations, uh, and they said, "Oh, we tell people to dress their best." Well, for someone coming out of college, their best might be what they wear Saturday night out to a club, which is, so they think they're looking fantastic and they are not looking fantastic for the workplace. Not appropriate. Right. And so, but again, it's letting people know what they don't know. And I think a lot of it is on companies and organizations. If they want people to dress in a certain way, they need to help give them the tools in terms of, okay, this is, this is what we consider appropriate dress attire. And this is what we don't consider appropriate dress attire and then hold everybody equally accountable to that so because it's only when you have start having exceptions pop up here and there then there's no rule and then it's it's hard to get that back we're always on a learning curve you know you come in especially right out of school you're a business blank you know and you have to take your cue from your bosses your superiors like i said it's a learning curve and you should learn something new every day Let's talk about this amazing collaboration between the two of you. Uh, collaborations of any kind, working with a partner, can be, it can be the most amazing thing, and it brings you know, great diversity of thought and opinion to whatever product that you're trying to produce. In this case, it's a little unusual to see mom and daughter working side by side. Mm-hmm. How does that work? And how do you, in particular, how do you work through conflict, and how do you keep from bringing any family stuff to bear as it relates on to, to the to the product, in this case, your book. I think we are so similar that it makes it easy. And we both have the same level of passion for the subject matter. So we can talk literally for an hour about napkin etiquette and be completely delighted with each other. So... <laughs> 
<laughs> but um, so yeah, ver, uh, different opinions are so valuable mm-hmm. because that's when you you dissect it and you come up with the what we perceive as the perfect answer. And it's a joy for me. It really is. And to see my grandchildren, 12, nine and a half, almost 10, to see them enjoy it too. I get the biggest kick out of when I hear them, one of them repeating something to someone else. Like I have this little line that when you're dining, you're there for delightful chit-chat. You're not there for arguing or you're there to enjoy something. We were, they were at the dining table and Catherine said, well, let's do our delightful chit-chat. <laughs> so, no. so it's seeping down and they're going to own these behaviors they're not going to have to think about them, which is such a plus when they get to get into adulthood. But working together for us, our approach, I come from it from a very business-oriented side because of my time in the corporate world. Catherine here is a teacher by training and has, so comes from that from an educational standpoint. And so going back and forth in terms of how can we clearly articulate the messages that we want to share with folks so that they understand it and can digest it and make it their own. So we do have back and forth, you know, some of the things in the book, we did go back and forth on what to include, what not to include. But we enjoyed the conversation because um, we just enjoy the subject matter. So I think we get along pretty well on that. And you have definite strengths where I have weaknesses and and vice versa. And so we kind of complement each other. So for you guys, both the ga- the game Kindness mm-hmm. Kingdom and now the book, these are side hustles. So this is these are things that you're doing in addition to what you're doing on a on a full time basis. Mm-hmm. Catherine, are you retired? Yes, from I teaching? have retired. Uh, but Jess, this is your this is your side hustle. Mm-hmm. This is your hobby. Mm-hmm. How do you know when it's a hobby and when it's something that you want to really double down on and spend more of your more of your time on? You know, I've been very lucky with my corporation. They know about the game and the book. They were kind of along for the ride, and um, they were always very supportive of me. So I think that if you start off with a hobby, that's on your own time, and that's great. But if you move it into something, the next level, and you'll know when it's the next level. If you're, if you feel like you have to hide it because you were that you're spending too much time on it, then that's something that it's beyond a hobby now. You just have to be really clear about managing your time and when I'm at work I'm at work when I'm with my family I'm with my family so we put this in the etiquette and the manners projects that we do they're enjoyable they're enjoyable and I do those after after the girls are in bed is when we would write or where we would have our phone calls over the weekends when you figure it out but I think once you start enjoying something so much and you see value to other people that's when it can turn into side hustle and that's what we wanted to do once you retired from uh the hill you started the etiquette training and the classes but the 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 games and the book evolved from from that just made it a fun experience so i ask each of our guests on the podcast for a single piece of advice a life hack a mantra perhaps one Thing we didn't touch we didn't touch on a lot there's a lot in, there's a lot in the book but one thing we didn't touch on that you might sort of your guiding light as it relates to this topic I think for me and this comes from my childhood every morning when my mother would wake us up she would say Kathy you're going to have choices today choose kindness 
I have done that. I still wake up with that attitude. And the attitude is what you put out there is going to come back triple fold to you. The other part of that is when you go to bed at night and you evaluate your day, which I do daily, it's very nice to say, oh, I don't have a regret today. So I would say always choose kindness every day. I think that my advice is to intentionally act the way you want to be, the way you want to be and the way you want to feel. So if you want to be a nice person, you should do that all day long. And being nice is not a weakness. I think it's very, uh, it shows strength and character because when you're nice to yourself and nice to other people, you're showing self-respect and respect to them. And I think when you do that, only good things flow and you will rarely make the wrong choice. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Ladies, it's wonderful. Thank you so much for having us. Thank we had you. such fun. Thank you for being here. It's oh, terrific. You're welcome. The book is called The Marvelous Millennials Manual to Modern Manners, Professional Success and Happiness with the Help of Business Etiquette. And the game is called Kindness Kingdom. To learn more about Catherine and Jessica, you can visit our website at www.shesaidshesaidpodcast.com. There we will include links to both the game and the book, as well as some other notes and photos photographs from today's visit. And if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to leave a review. We would love to hear from you. And also be sure to sign up for our newsletter. We try to send it out on a monthly basis that that highlights and showcases some of our past episodes. So be sure to do that as well. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Mm